Today's scripture reading will be from Matthew 24, verses 1 through 8. In our Pew Bibles, this is on page 829. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. Uh, welcome to Regeneration. If this is your first time, my name is Albert, uh, but I'm not going to be teaching or preaching this morning. I I'm very honored to have mentor, friend, pastor, professor of mine, uh, Gary Brashears, here with us. He led an elder retreat for us this past weekend, and I asked him if he could teach uh, this Sunday morning, and he generously, graciously said yes in his busy schedule, so thank you so much for that. But Gary's a, a pastor, mentor, professor to many influential pastors um, all over the world. I'm just fortunate enough to be just one of them, and uh, I hope you, you're blessed to hear from them this morning. Yes. So, yeah, Albert's one of my stars. Did he tell you that? Yeah, we've done a lot of things together. We want to look at this Matthew 24 passage together. And it begins, I mean, that first thing, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciple came up to him to call his attention to the buildings. And when I look at this, you know, this is a picture of Jerusalem as it might have looked at in Jesus' day, looking up toward the temple from the southwest. And as you walk up there a little bit, you, you're looking at the stairway. And as you walk a little bit further, you're looking at the foundation of the temple. Have you been in Jerusalem? Anybody been there? Okay. Do you know what we're looking at here? You've probably been there if you've been in Jerusalem. What we're looking at right there, where the red square is, what is right there today is what you see if you look at this, the western wall or the wailing wall. That's the spot, the foundation of the temple. And the next slide shows a different view of that with the Orthodox Jews there doing their prayer thing. And next slide, again, that just the red square shows where that is in the foundation of the temple back in Jesus' day. But that's just, that's just the foundation. Going forwards here, we see the stairs again. And then if we go up the stairs, there's a tunnel under the temple that takes you up in the main. And if you go into this tunnel, you can see the columns there. I know it's a little hard to see there on the screen. And when you come up on the platform and look to the southwest, that's Solomon's portico. And you see the columns there. It's a very fancy building. So we'll, if we go inside Solomon's portico, it looks like this. 
And if you now turn to your right and look toward the, uh, be the northwest side, you see this view and you see the main temple building. Now this is all an animation put together by some people in Los Angeles. The next picture is a picture of the temple that's at the Jerusalem Hotel, and this is the temple model that, if, again, if you went to Jerusalem, you probably saw that, and you can see what a beautiful building this was. This is Herod's temple, the second temple, and that's what they're looking at, and they say, look at these beautiful stones. So moving ahead, we see the end of Matthew 23. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then Jesus left the temple and was walking away and went to the Mount of Olives. Now, if you're into Bible hyperlinks, you know, the Bible hyperlinks itself all the time, you know that this is a hyperlink back to Ezekiel. And if I go back to Ezekiel chapter 11, this is God showing Ezekiel why he left the temple. But as for those hearts who are devoted to their vile images and detestable idols, I will bring down on their own heads what they have done, declares the sovereign Lord. Then the cherubim, with the wheels inside them, spread their wings, and the glory of the Lord departed from within the city and stopped above the mountain to the east of it. What Jesus has just done is repeated what God did back when Babylon came to destroy the temple. And we hear the doom notes. So when you read again, verse 1, Matthew 24, verse 1, Jesus left the temple, was walking away. His disciples came to him, called attention to the buildings. What they should have been thinking, had they understood, they said, oh my, oh, this is terrible. And what they did do is say, look at the beautiful building, Jesus. And Jesus says this, do you see all these things? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Now this is the temple. This is a place where God meets heaven, meets earth. This is a place where if you want to be in the presence of God, this is the place to go. And Jesus says, all coming down. Put yourself in the place of disciples. These are loyal followers of Yahweh. And Jesus is telling them the temple is going to be destroyed. And they're gasping, as you said in the next slide. There's actually a piece of paper in the pew rack ahead of you if you want to fill in blanks and take some notes. And so he fills in. And what we're seeing here is Jesus departs the temple announcing its destruction. So note takers, there's a piece of paper there for you. If you need a pencil or something, stick your hand up and somebody will magically appear and hand you a, a pencil. I'm quite confident of it. Is that true? Okay, I don't see any hands, but if you need one, you can do it while I'm not looking. Okay. Jesus departs the temple and mounts instruction, and those are the doom notes reminding of what happened in 586 B.C. And this is a picture of what it might look like. This is from a movie as the Roman soldiers storming the walls of Jerusalem. And the next slide is the, the altar inside the temple with people being sacrificed on the altar. It's, just, it's a horror picture. And if you went to Jerusalem today, you might see something like this. This is actually stones from the temple. And back in the back of the picture, you can see tourists there to get a picture of how big those stones are. And those are just the fragments left that have been thrown down at the bottom of the foundation of the temple. Moving ahead to the next slide. That's, again, 
everything is going to be thrown down, he says. And the next slide, continuing. As Jesus said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your new age? And there are two questions here. So the next slide shows us the first question they're asking, when will these things happen? And that is the destruction of the temple. And the second question, what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? So two separate questions. So again, filling in the blanks, the disciples' incredulous response, when will these things happen? The unthinkable, the destruction of the temple, and they're just in shock. When will this happen? That's the first question. The second question, well, here are the scripture. They tell us, when will these things happen? That's Matthew 24, 3. If I go to the end of that section, Matthew 24, 34, truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. And you see the same word, these things, and their question is, when will these things happen? And in that section, going to the next slide here, it's talking about this generation, and a generation, you know, I'm, I'm an old man now, I'm a happy grandfather, and I have the possibility of having bio-great-grandkids in the not-too-far-distant future, because Joy and Nathaniel are tight. We're expecting a ring on it this fall, and possibly a wedding before Christmas, and kids by July. Yeah, maybe not quite that fast, but, you know. I, it just, and I relish the idea of having great grandkids. Well, a generation is from me to David, and then David to Joy, and then Joy to little X. This generation will not pass away until all these things happen. And we go to the next slide, and we see this generation, back from Matthew 23. Truly I tell you, this will come on this generation, all the things you talked about in Matthew 23. So generation is, is a you know, 40-ish years. Going to the next slide, filling the blanks again. The disciples thought, when will these things happen? And the answer is in the generation after Jesus. So that Jesus is crucified in 33 AD. So a generation, 40-ish years, would be by like 73 AD. And that's a, he's very specific when this will happen. So the next slide here gives us a second question. What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? That's a second question. And the next slide, down at verse 36, he says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not the angels of heaven, not the Son. Jesus himself does not know the date of that coming. But only the Father, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the time of the coming of the Son of Man. That makes a connection. He's now talking about the second question beginning in verse 36. Next slide is talking about, is, this is about the coming of the Son of Man. And then again, the next slide, filling in the blank. Jesus looks at his second coming as an unknown time at the end of the age. Okay, so we're talking about two questions. The professorial side of me wants to stop and see if you've paid attention to what I'm saying. I'll try to resist that temptation, which is hard to do. Two different questions. When will these things happen? The destruction of the temple. What will be the sign of your coming? Which is a separate thing. So, the signs of the times, that's a phrase from the King James Bible. And that becomes, so if we look at this down at at Matthew 24, verse 4, the signs of the times are all these things he talks about. 
And the first sign of the time here is many will come in my name. That's the first sign that he talks about. I'm Messiah. The second will be wars and rumors of wars. Now, wars is what's going on between Russia and Ukraine right now. They're lobbing lethal stuff at each other. That's what I mean by wars. The next sign, down in verse 7, is nation against nation. That's what's happening between U.S. and China right now. There's nothing lethal flying back and forth. We're bumping each other pretty hard. And those are both happening. And then the fourth sign, again, the professor side says, can you find the fourth sign before I show it to you? And the answer is what? What's the fourth sign here? Famines and earthquakes, climate change, earthquakes, extreme heat, you know, all that kind of stuff. And what he's saying is these will be things that will happen, and I'm suggesting to you in this first generation. Next slide is the fifth sign. You'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. Now, in the United States, nobody's being persecuted and put to death for being Christians, but other countries of the world, this is very, very real. The sixth sign, many will turn away from the faith. We're seeing that happen today. Hello. I... There you go, there's a sign of the times. Uh, the seventh sign here is false prophets will appear. So seven signs, continuing down in the next slide, verse 12, the increase of wickedness, the love will grow cold among people within the church. The ninth sign, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world. Now a note, when we read this in light of the first century, the whole world does not include the United States of America because nobody listening to Jesus knew about the United States of America. And we look in Colossians chapter 1, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, Paul says in this gospel, this letter that's written in the early 60s probably. This is the gospel that's proclaimed to every creature under heaven. So he's saying that the gospel has already gone to the whole world, and this letter is written in the early 60s, 30 years or so after the crucifixion of Jesus. So don't think United States, in this first generation, it's actually gone to every part of the Roman Empire. How did that happen? Well, at Pentecost, there's 3,000 people there from all over the known world. They're in Jerusalem for the Pentecost feast, and those people meet Jesus, the Holy Spirit's poured out, they go back home and proclaim the gospel. These are Jewish evangelists, and that's what we're talking about. And over the next 30 years, the gospel's gone to the entire known world. The last sign, and then the end will come. So 10 signs. Now, when I think about this, go back to the next slide. This is Matthew 24. When you see one standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation. What in the world is that? Well, if you go back to Daniel, you know that that's from Daniel 7, that's predicting Antiochus Epiphanes, the Greek general who came to Jerusalem, hated Jewish people, and ended up sacrificing a pig on the altar in Jerusalem in order to desecrate the temple. That is an abomination of desolation. And what happened at that point is Judas, a Jewish patriot, ended up leading a rebellion, and he became known as Judas Maccabee, Judas the Hammer, 
and he led a group of nondescript Jewish faithful followers of Jesus, and they rebelled against the Greeks, and they actually overthrew them. You can read the story in a book called Day of Atonement by David De Silva, a historical novel of that era that's just fabulous. David De Silva, Day of Atonement, will tell you about this era when Antiochus Epiphanes and then Judah and Maccabee overturned it. That's the first abomination of desolation. The second one is Titus and the Romans, which you know historically 70 AD. But that's not the last abomination of desolation. Uh, another one that's going to come along, 1 John chapter 4, every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is the spirit of the Antichrist. And Antichrist, he says, are already in the world. But that's looking forward eventually to the Antichrist, this one who is coming in a final generation leading into the end of the world. We know this historically. And some of the abomination of desolations would be like the Muslims that wiped out church in what we can all call Turkey and North Africa. I think the Crusades are an abomination of desolation that desecrated Jerusalem. Uh, Hitler, I mean, we could add others in there. There are many of these abominations of desolations. So we'd come to the next slide again. The signs of the times are just things that happen. Next slide. The coming crisis in Jerusalem is the siege of Jerusalem. And out of that comes the climax of the crisis, the destruction of the, can you fill in the blank? Destruction of the what? The temple. Now remember, this is a place where heaven meets earth. This is a place where we do business with God. And for this to come down says we can no longer have good relationship with God, according to where Jewish people were at that day. Now, of course, we know as Christians that the Holy Spirit's going to fill that slot, but the, Jew, the, the poor disciples, well, I think in terms of graphs. Okay, so let me do a graph here. We're looking here at the ascension of Jesus. That happened in that, did you miss it? Yeah, destruction of the temple. Yeah. So the ascension of Jesus, the return of Jesus. Ascension of Jesus, 33 AD. Return of Jesus, what's the date of that? We don't know. Neither does Jesus. So quit it. Don't do it. Yeah. So in between these two is what you might call the church age. And that's where we're in today. Jesus already ascended. He's not yet returned. Before the ascension is the age where Israel, the nation, was a mediator of God's purposes. Now the church is a mediator of God's purposes. After the return of Christ, I think there will be the millennium time of universal peace and righteousness under the rule of Messiah. There are others who think, no, there's not going to be a millennium per se. There's going to be, the next slide, new heaven, new earth. We'll go directly to the new, new heaven, new earth. These are good and godly people, but I think they're wrong. I think there'll be a millennium next. I think God's going to reign on this earth. And uh, so there you go. There's, I mean, we debate about these things, but we're both following the eye of scripture. And back in the time of Israel, the controlling covenant is the Mosaic Covenant. 613 commandments, circumcision, kosher food, temple sacrifices, and all that sort of thing. And what happened when Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit, he inaugurated the New Covenant. We're no longer in the Mosaic Covenant. Some have said Jesus died so that we could eat bacon. I don't think that's his primary purpose, but I'm glad for the, I like bacon. I like, had some pork sausage for breakfast this morning. See, under the Mosaic Covenant, I could not eat that. Under the New Covenant, I can. 
but still that love God, love neighbor is a part of the new covenant. And in the millennium, I think the new covenant will be fully inaugurated. And in my understanding, Israel will be regathered under the reign of Messiah as a godly Christ-honoring nation. Now, next slide. This is what I'm talking about by the signs of the times. These are things in between the first coming and the, the ascension and return. What many people look is at the end of the time, the signs of the time will be a huge increase of those 10 things. And so what they're seeing is really the signs of his return, and they point to this increase at the end of the age. And that's the date setters. So when they see these things happening, the increase of these things, and you can go to a website called raptureready.com, and they have 50 things they're counting, and they're saying, no, we're not predicting that the is coming, but they really are. And their thing is, when these increase, that means the return of Christ. In fact, the way they do it is when it reaches a certain level, fasten your seatbelts, because we're about to go up. Well, I, I mock it because it's craziness, and I don't think it's biblical. So, no. Double X, forget it. This is bad. Now, good and godly people disagree with me, but I still think I'm right. So, coming back to our slide here, uh, talking about, it, again, all these things are going to happen in the first generation, as I understand it. So, the next slide here, there is, but I think this is a pattern for the rest of history. And I think that there's also a a looking forward to a great tribulation that's talked about several places in scripture. I think those are going to happen. So coming back to our graph again, the way I understand it is Jesus, when he talks about the signs of the times, all of these are first generation events. Everything happens between, as we know now, 33 AD when Jesus is crucified and 70 AD when the temple is destroyed, less than 40 years. So next slide, we've got the signs of the times. And what I understand is that that pattern is going to happen in every generation, including mega beasts and all that sort of thing. And there will be a final generation event of the Great Tribulation. I think that was talking. But the primary reference in Matthew 24 is that first generation from 33 to 70 AD. So, looking again, we need to interpret some stuff here. So, verse 29. Immediately after the rest of this days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give us light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Man, has anybody seen the constellations turn off yet? Has anybody seen them, the sun darkened? Well, that could be an eclipse, but seen more than that. Now, here's the thing. Next slide. Uh, the many understand that is looking forward to the return of Christ. And there will be these cataclysmic events that will happen just before Jesus comes back again. I notice here some little things. What are those things that are circled there? What are, what's circled there? Quotation marks. When you see quotation marks, what should you do? Go look where the quote is from. In this particular quote, if you've got a Bible with some study notes in there, you'll see it's from Isaiah 13. And Isaiah 13 is a prophecy against Babylon done by Isaiah. And the next slide, verse 10, there's where it's quoted from. Stars of heaven, the constellation will not show the light, rising sun be dark, and moon not give us light, therefore I make the heavens tremble. This is what I call apocalyptic language. So I look at this, next slide, what's it talking about? It's talking about Babylon, the destruction of Babylon, judgment of Babylon. When did that happen? And all you history buffs know it happened when? 
Of course you know it's 539 BC by the Persians, right? And you know the city of Babylon was abandoned in 275 BC. When did the constellations turn off and when did the stop, sun stop shining? Well, never. That's apocalyptic language. It's the same thing that happened in 9-11. You know, when the airplanes banged in the World Trade Center and that's, oh, this is the end of the world. What do you mean by apocalyptic language? Next slide. I think this is talking about, I think Jesus is saying is Jerusalem has become the new Babylon. It's actually betraying the worship of God and that's why the temple is going to be destroyed. And when you the in scripture, you see that's exactly what happened. So, next slide. Sun be dark and heavy, Does point of return? Nope, I don't think so. I don't think that's what we're doing. I don't think that's an end time event primarily. Jesus talked about it. Next slide. I think it's actually pointing back to looking toward the ascension of Jesus Christ. The death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ is a world-changing event. That's why this big language is used for it. So next slide here. Again, this is verse 30. When I look at verse 30, then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now if I read that by itself, that absolutely sounds like the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven like the return of Jesus Christ. I think that's not what it is. So next slide here. Son of Man coming on clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Again, that's a quotation. That's a quotation from Daniel chapter 7. And when I come down and look at Daniel chapter 7, it says this, In my vision at night I looked and there before him was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. There's the phrase. And the son of man is coming to the ancient of days. He's given authority, glory, and great power. And you see what happens here. He's not talking about a return of Jesus at the end of the age. He's talking about the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven and going to the Father. That's his ascension. That's his exaltation. So next slide. What's this talking about? What is this talking about? It's talking about exaltation at the right hand of the Father. Now, if you only read Matthew 24, you won't see that. But if you read in the context of Scripture, then it makes sense. And when did that happen? When did Jesus go to the right hand of the Father? At his ascension, 33 AD. See, it's a first century event. So, next slide. Is this pointing to the return of Christ? I don't think so. Not as his primary referent. It's pointing to the ascension of Jesus. So, next slide. It's pointing to the ascension of Jesus. Didn't you do a great job of keeping up with me? I've got 188 slides. And she's keeping up great. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So next slide. This is another thing. He'll send his angels a loud trumpet call and they'll gather his elect from the four winds from the end of heaven. Again, that's not like an end time kind of thing. And it's often interpreted that way. But when I look at the term angels, and I look it up in Bauer, Denker, Art, and Gingrich, the standard Greek lexicon, and look at the first meaning of angels, it's a human messenger serving as an envoy. We think angelos, and we think an angel, you know, but actually the first meaning is a human messenger. Who's that? Well, that's y'all. That's y'all. And the angels gathering the elect is people preaching the gospel all over the world. And again, that's a first-generation event. 
So the next slide, about that day, nobody knows. Now we're talking about, now we're talking about that day. Now we're talking about at the coming of the second of the Son of Man. That's verse 36, that's the second question. So let's fill in the blank. Jesus looks to his second coming, coming at an unknown time. When will these things happen? Very specific time. When will the second coming happen? Jesus says, I don't know. So that day is the day of the Lord. That day includes Messiah's appearing in reign. That's when Jesus comes back and forms, I think, the millennium. That includes the resurrection of the dead, an end-time thing. That includes the new heavens and new earth. He's looking forward to the second coming. And the rest of chapter 24 and all of chapter 25 is telling us what to do to be ready for that event that we don't know when comes. And even Jesus doesn't know when it's going to come. So, lessons. So what? I know, I'm a theology prof, a Bible nerd, and I could geek out in this stuff forever. Like, who cares? Well, here's why I care. Here's why I care. Matthew 24, 4, there are four lessons here that are really important. What's the first lesson? The first lesson is this. The first lesson is this. Watch out that no one deceives you. So filling the blank, don't be deceived. That's what serpent does, is deceive us into all kinds of crazy stuff. What's the primary way of his deception these days? Well, here's a picture that shows you what the primary way of deception is. It's the echo chamber of social media that are giving interpretations of events, most of which are meant to deceive believers away from faithfulness to Jesus Christ. Don't be deceived. First lesson. Second lesson. Second lesson. See to it that you're not alarmed. So again, filling in the blank. Stay calm. Now, when I look at what's happening, both in Christian media, much of it, and secular media right now, what I see is outrage, despair. Oh my God, we're going to die. And what this is saying is don't stay calm when you see prophets preaching the end. Stay calm. Stay calm when you see political upheaval. Russia invading Ukraine. China throwing stuff in the ocean around Taiwan, etc., etc., etc. Stay calm when you see natural disasters. Stay calm when you see the failure of Christianity. Now, these are real things. Wars happen. I have friends living in Syria, and the Syrian civil war have destroyed their lives. I have friends living in Ukraine, but not in eastern Ukraine, but I have friends living in Kyiv. I have friends living in Odessa. I just exchanged emails with my friend, the president of the Odessa Theological Seminary, who I've taught several times. They've had missiles land in Odessa, and they never know when the war is coming to them. What's Jesus' command to Alexander? And Natasha, when they're wondering if missiles are going to land, stay calm. Yeah, you may die. Yeah, you may die. Missile may land on you and you may die. I mean, it's, it's bad, but God is at work. Next slide. The third command, 
is the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So the command is stand firm to the end. First is don't be deceived. Second is stay calm. Third is stand firm. Look at how many people are giving up on Christianity these days because it's not meeting what they want it to do. Stand firm. Live for Jesus in the midst of all the chaos going on. Now it's first generation, but it's every generation after that. The fourth lesson is a statement. The gospel king will be preached the world as a testimony of all nations. So the command is preach on. Keep doing the calm reannouncement of the Jesus story, which is the most important story in the entire universe but it's overcome by serpent blowing things up, tearing things down, and getting a lot of attention. So when I look at this, when I think of the calm story, the basic story is, I like this Jesus. And frankly, when people look at Jesus, he's a very, very attractive character. We don't get to redefine him. And the second thing is, I want to be like this Jesus. That's the call of the gospel. I want to connect with this Jesus by grace alone, through faith alone, and I want to be like him by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the community of Christ. That's the gospel, is I can do those things. So, how will we live? First of all, avoid both end-time absorption. I'm old enough to remember the days when everybody was absorbed by end-times events and just went crazy over stuff. That's much less so today, but frankly, it's coming back. There are a lot of people who are preaching that what's happening right now with COVID and world stuff is saying Jesus is coming quickly, and they're absorbed with predicting the end. And I could name people. I won't do it. But what I find more commonly is end times apathy. Where is the promise of his coming? Jesus is never coming back. I'm just going to live my life. Who cares? How should we live? Secondly, quit trying to calculate dates. Go to raptureready.com and laugh. Don't take it seriously. Another one, watch. What does that mean? That's what Jesus says there in, later in Matthew 24. It means anticipate and evaluate. Anticipate bad things are going to happen. Anticipate God is going to be at work in the midst of the bad things and then evaluate events based on not economic security for the middle class, which is so common in American politics, but evaluate by what honors Jesus Christ. And one of my questions is, I will never, ever honor anything that dishonors Jesus. I will never honor anything that dishonors Jesus. That's what I mean by anticipate and evaluate. Another lesson, de-junk your faith. There's so much junk running around, raptureready.com, if I can mock that one more time. But there's all kinds of stuff that goes on in very speculative stuff about the meaning of Christianity. So often American Christianity is tied in with America and exceptionalism. Frankly, if America was wiped out as an empire, I don't, that doesn't change the gospel at all. I'm not anti-American, but America is not essential to God's purposes. For many, America must be, and there's, that's a de-junking faith. There's an anti-Americanism that I think needs to be de-junked as well. 
We live for Jesus in the middle of this place. The fifth one, we live in Messianic hope. We really believe that Messiah is at work these days and believe that he is changing lives. I've heard some of your stories. It's true he does. So what do we do? Horrifying times. Please pray. It's a good thing. That's a good thing. Tim Keller, faithful pastor in New York City, now has handed off Redeemer Presbyterian to another group of people. He's currently has pancreatic cancer and he's under uh, treatment. Amazing man of God. Put out this thing. First of all, if there is no day of judgment to account for all the wrongs of the world that people have gotten away with, what hope is there for the world? That's the question. If there's no day of judgment, what hope is there for the world? His second question, but if there is a day of judgment, what hope is there for me? What hope is there for the world is there a day of judgment? And if there is a day of judgment, what hope is there for me? And his point is, next slide, Jesus is our answer to both questions. That gives us a perspective on the awful things that are happening in our society. I think that's really helpful. One more. I'm going to judge my circumstances by Jesus' love or not Jesus' love by my circumstances. See, that's a call to us to stay faithful. Because I see lots of people are saying, God doesn't love me because my circumstances are awful. Well, what Jesus is saying in Matthew 24 is, yes, things are going to be bad. But the point of it is, look at this as God is at work in the midst of these things. And when you look for his grace, you see amazing things. And this final slide is just a picture that I just love. A little hard to see, but it's me kneeling before the cross with the glimmers of his grace in the background. And my prayer constantly is, Lord, help me see the glimmers of your grace in dark places. The serpent is trying to gain my attention with all kinds of destructive, explosive things, and I refuse to honor him. I will honor Jesus Christ who works quietly, redemptively, and healingly. Do you have these little communion cups? If you don't, stick your hand up and somebody will magically appear and bring you one. There she is right now. Yep, stick your hand up. Stephanie's coming. We want to take communion together just to remember this reality that God is at work in our world, but it's, he does it so quietly, he's really easy to miss. Yeah, let's all grab these things out. Peel the top little thing off, not the juice yet. Grab out the little wafer there. This is a very, 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 very plain little wafer. There's nothing special about the wafer itself, but this wafer is a reality that represents the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the body of Jesus Christ. Eat in remembrance of me, he said. Let's eat together. Thank you, Jesus, that you're willing to come in the body and live in the worst of this world to bring us the best of your love so we can celebrate that together. Okay, now, get the second level. Don't spill the juice when you do it. Yes. 
and this again, nondescript juice, there's nothing special about the juice, but it represents something very, 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 very special. This represents the blood of the new covenant that Jesus shed, pouring out the Holy Spirit to bring us unity and hope and transformation, even amidst the most horrible times. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Drink and remember to me. Let's drink together. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We celebrate your goodness in these songs as we sing together, looking for your grace in the midst of dark places. Amen.